Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. With free delivery on over 2 million items, you can make the most of summer grilling and dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Special edition of PFTPM, our series of conversations with general managers following the 2022 draft. A guy that we talk to pretty much every year, at least twice a year. For some reason, he doesn't say no. He's Eagles GM, Super Bowl winner, Howie Roseman. Howie, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Mike. Always enjoy it. It's great to talk show. to you. I know, I know you're busy. I know it, it never stops. G- give us an idea of what your day-to-day life is like now that we're a week and a half removed from the draft. Well, it's funny, I was talking to another GM yesterday afternoon and they said, you know, everyone thinks like the draft ends and it's like, I'm, bu- I'm good. But you're really just transitioning to two things. You're transitioning to your staff. And um, I guess it's a good thing. You know, it's something I'm proud of. We, we've lost nine people to promotions in the last three years. Um, but what it means is like we got we got to really kind of transition just like on the field. We got to hire uh, a bunch of staff and, and hire the right people who, who fit us and um, that are talented. And there's a lot of talented people in the NFL. So uh, looking forward to that opportunity. And then um, continuing to look at your roster and looking at where you kind of have depth and where you have needs and where you have surplus um, and having a rookie camp. So I think all this is kind of a run until we take a, a little break here, a little step back um, in the middle of the June. And, and then we come back and refreshed and ready to roll. Do you have 90 on the roster now or you have a couple spots you're holding back? We have a couple of stops, spots we're holding back. Uh, we felt like it always gives us that flexibility instead of grabbing someone that you're unsure of and, and then having to cut that guy. I think for us, having that flexibility before training camp uh, allows us to kind of look at some opportunities. So I'll phrase the next question the way that a reader suggested it. What number is James Bradbury going to wear for the Eagles? Well, I, I appreciate that you put it on a reader, you know, because uh, I, I know now that any question that you may ask that may be <laughs> difficult, you will now have an excuse for. That's great to know. But, you know, obviously, like our job is to look at any opportunity to improve the team. And uh, we'll always do that. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of have discussions on that. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because I almost feel like um, until we kind of made the AJ trade, it was kind of like maybe there was inaction from the Eagles. And. Uh, when I look back at, at the most important things uh, we've done this offseason, it really starts with re-signing our own players because of the message that sends to your locker room. And so we had Jordan Mulata, who was a free agent, Avante Maddox, who was a free agent, Dallas Goddard, who was a free agent, Josh Sweat, who was a free agent. Um, and we, we kind of did those deals during the season. And uh, that was really our, our first uh, big step towards putting this team together for 2022 and beyond. What's the message you send or intend to send to the other players in the locker room when you do that? I, I think I know what it is. I just want to hear you say it. Well, I think but when you bring free agents in and you pay free agents a lot of money and, and or you, you trade for guys and pay them a lot of money and, and obviously really um, excited about AJ and Hassan Reddick, two guys that we brought in um, from the outside. But I think when you do that and you don't take care of your own locker room, you're basically telling your guys like maybe you're not good enough. Maybe, maybe the guys that you drafted and you've developed and have been blood, sweat and tears in Eagles uniforms, they're not good enough. And then you risk those guys becoming independent contractors. 
right? Because when you get to free agency, by definition, you're probably going to the highest bidder or close to the highest bidder. And so when you do that to your team and say, hey, we're going to be aggressive in trying to improve our team, but our first priority is always going to be take care of our own. The guys we've drafted, developed, that we know them day to day, the ins and outs of their personalities. And so um, I think what it says to our younger guys is you do the right thing, you play well, and we're going to try to take care of you. Why do you think that some teams in today's NFL are more willing to facilitate, accommodate players who just don't want to be on the team anymore? It seems like we've come a long way from, and I apologize, I don't know whether or not you were with the Eagles back during the Terrell Owens stuff, but I I have a feeling you were. That's going to be a big chapter in my book. Good. But but part of it Nobody's going to buy it, by the way, except maybe the family. What's that? Nobody's going to buy that book, but I'll write it, you know, for for maybe generations of my family. Nobody buys any books. I'm learning that the hard way as I try to get people to buy playmakers. Uh People don't buy books. But regardless, the attitude then was, and the fans got behind it, and it was a rarity that a team would let a player who didn't want to be there go. You're under contract. It's not a contract. You're under your contract. Why do you think we've seen a shift in the past generation to where there are teams that are willing to say, hey, we got a guy who's not happy, doesn't want to be here, instead of holding him to a contract that he signed, our interests are better served by letting this guy go somewhere else. Well, the first thing is all those guys are, are getting value. You know, like they're not, they're not going somewhere for a mid-round pick or a late-round pick. Like you are still having to put, pay the value for those players. And so I think it gets to a point where every team, and we've been in this situation before, has to decide – is the value that I'm going to get from this trade going to improve our team and allow us the flexibility to do other things? Or are we ready kind of to have this protracted standoff with someone and understanding the rights and obligations everyone has with their contract? And I, I think it's really got to be a case by case basis. And I think it's, it's kind of where you are um, as a football team, you know, in your progression, who else you're paying a lot of money to, what kind of resources and assets that you have going forward. And so um, you know, I would hate to speak for everyone else in the league. I think for us, obviously, um, when we're paying a quarterback a lot of money, it's harder to do these sort of things. When you have a, a quarterback on a rookie deal, you're able to be a little bit more aggressive in some of these other avenues. How differently do you think the Terrell Owens situation would have played out if instead of shirtless driveway sit-ups and Drew Rosenhaus, next question, press conference on the front lawn, he would have had the weapons that today's players have via social media, the ability to tweet, to post videos, to go on a full-on 24-hour day if he chooses offensive. Would that have changed the team's position on the Terrell Owens situation, do you think? Is your goal to give me PTSD? Is that, is that what you're trying to do? Here, like, I'm, I'm, I'm confused by the line of questioning. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, that wasn't fun. Now I'm going through it in my mind. The best story about T.O. was um, – you know, we have, we have this uh, tough 2005 season um, coming off our, our Super Bowl year. And Coach Reed says, hey, uh, you know, at the end of the season, everyone take a weekend, get away. We'll, we'll gather back up to talk about next year's plans and evaluate the team. And so my wife and I get on a plane and go to Florida. And because I was, I was traveling on the time I was doing, I was on the road scouting. Um, we got upgraded, right? So we're in, sitting in first class. We're going to Florida. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm finally like a little bit relaxing. And uh, the pilot gets on and he says, um, we're just waiting for one more passenger and then we'll start taxiing. And of course, who is it? It's T.O., you know, and he kind of looks at my wife and he kind of nods her head and they looks at me 
and he takes a seat and he jacks it in my lap for two and a half hours. So that was a really good ending to that, that part of the story. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. That's well done. Um, but, but really the NFL has changed and you're right. Value is a big part of it. And that's what we saw happen with your decision to trade for AJ Brown. And I'm fascinated by what's going on with the receivers in the NFL, because you have great ones coming in every year via the draft, mm -hmm. but you also have great ones available via trade because teams are deciding instead of giving a guy a third contract, like a Tyree kill or Devonte Adams, or even a second contract like AJ Brown, mm -hmm. they're going to trade them. What brought you down on the side of with AJ Brown, the Titans have him, the Titans are willing to give him up for value. They don't want to pay him, but you will. What made you decide to give them what they wanted and to give him what he wanted? Probably three factors, Mike, when I think about why we made the trade. I think one um, was the player fit, you know, the evaluation of the player, um, tremendous player. We did a lot of work on him coming out uh, of Ole Miss. Um, felt like uh, this guy really made a difference, whether he's playing inside or outside. How he complimented our young receivers. You know, we drafted Devontae, we drafted Jalen Rager, we have Quez Watkins, we signed Zach Pascal. You know, we have a bunch of other guys here that, that have contributed to our football team. But he was a different kind of player. And um, I know um, another another moment that affected me was we had we had played um, you know for a long time against Anquan Bolden, and the the difference he made as a player and how physical he was. And the toughness that he played with, he hated to be tackled. And then we had won a championship with Alshon and, you know, what he did on the outside. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a piece that we, we had different body types. So for us, first, the player fit, obviously we felt like we knew the person from doing him coming out and the relationships he had with some guys on our team, including with Jalen Hurts. I think second is just where we were as a team. Um, and I think there's two parts of that. I think the first part is, again, we have a quarterback on a rookie deal. So you're able to maybe be more aggressive in those modes. Um, and I'm sure that was, you know, I don't want to talk for J-Rob, but I'm sure that was part of his thinking. Like I got a quarterback that I'm paying, I think. And the third part of it is that we had accumulated assets and, um, you know, we know this, like the best guys in the draft are going to hit on 60% of their first round picks. And so no matter how strongly you feel about a first round pick, you still don't know how that guy is going to transition. How is he going to transition to a new city? How is he going to transition with money in his pocket? How is he going to translate to new personalities? How is he going to translate living on his own for the first time? And I'm not saying that's a re reason to be risk averse and not take draft picks, but because we had so accumulated some of these draft picks and because of those other reasons, we felt like this made sense for us right now at this time. How much of the decision to make the trade for AJ Brown is a reflection on the decision two years ago to use a first round pick on Jalen Rager. Is there a dotted line, a straight line, any line between your experience with Rager and the decision to go get AJ Brown? Uh, no, because of the, of how special a player AJ is. I think, you know, um, we've seen this, like the book is yet to be written on Jalen Rager. We had um, in my first draft as GM, we drafted Brandon Graham over a couple of guys. And uh, for a long time, that was one of the things, you know, in Philly, a lot of things follow you. That 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 was following me. Um, and obviously, Brandon Graham now is is one of the special players in the history of our franchise. And so, um, you know, there are, there are going to be adverse bumps in the road, adversity that all of us face in our careers. It's how you react to it. Um, it's how you move forward. Um, obviously, the other guys had a tremendous start to his career and a heck of a player. But 
Um, I think if you kind of try to, to make up and try to do makeup stuff, you know, because of things that you're doing, those, those things don't work out. You got to kind of keep every decision based on, on the whole picture of your team and the shelf life where your team is um, and all of kind of those factors rather than, you know, looking at one specific pick, you know, I'm not just talking about channel, but anything we do. When do you expect the book to be written? When do we have a finished product where we can make the assessment on which side of the 60% Jalen Rigger falls on positive or negative based upon the decision to invest that first round pick in it? Yeah, I think he, when you see how hard he's working right now and the determination he has, and obviously he's got athletic tools in his body that, that made him a first round pick made him a five-star recruit. Um, I, I think for us, like he's still 23 years old. So, um, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't, I don't know the right answer to that for any player, you know, because I think guys have different timelines when they get that. And experience is, is a huge factor in getting better. You know, I feel like I still had a ways to go. Like I can, I can continue to get better and continue to learn. And, um, I'm starting my 12th year as a GM, um, in Philly. So, now, as long as you have that kind of mindset where you're going to work as hard as you possibly can and try to uh, improve yourself, I think that that window remains open. What should Eagles fans expect from the offense with A.J. Brown? Because it was evolving into a certain type of offense last year, more running the ball, taking advantage of the talents that you had. With A.J. Brown there, what's it going to look like? Well, first, you know this, you know, you're always hesitant to talk about anything in May because you got so long to go before you first play a game. So I think health is the most important thing for our football team, for every football team, um, because it, it determines so many outcomes here. Um, so I think for us, you know, we got we got great performance staff, great training staff, great medical staff. So keeping those guys in position um, to play. So when we get that schedule released tomorrow night, you know, we kind of look at it and go, man, if, if we're full strength, we got a chance um, to be good. But I think when you look at it again, like um, because of how good we were running the football, we understand that's going to be a challenge for defenses. You know, defenses are going to come in and say, hey, this this offensive line set the tone. Um, they led the league in rushing. So how are you going to counterpunch? You know, it's, it's um, being able to be multiple and be versatile. And, and Coach Sirianni does an amazing job of that, of, of adjusting to the strengths of our personnel. And I think as we go through camp and um, – get a, a good sense of who we are. Uh, I have no doubt that our coaching staff will put them in the best position. You mentioned the schedule release. What time tomorrow will you see it the first time? And what are the factors you analyze it for when you get a look at the whole thing? You know, I, I don't want to kill your content here, but I think analyzing the schedule in May is an exercise in futility. Who's going to be playing What's the state of your team at that time? You know, it's hard. Now, of course, I do. But don't it. you look for, hey, we got three straight it. road games. We got screwed here. We got three exactly. straight road games. In exactly. That'll be the first thing I'll go. I'll go, man, I thought they weren't going to do this to us. Or I'll go, um, maybe that's a good time to kind of tack on a, a, a little a school call there. You know, and like maybe we go somewhere warm weather in November and December and say, maybe I'll stay out for a couple of days, you know, just coincidentally, you know, when, when the weather gets bad in Philly, that maybe, you know, there's really good players in the Southeast or, or the West. Um, but I think that that's really, it's just another level of excitement to see, you know, who you're playing, when you're playing them, um, how that kind of falls, home games, road games, travel. So, um, I mean, I can't wait. Have you ever made complaints after getting the schedule one year and have it make a difference the next year? No. 
<laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, let me ask this about Jalen Hurts. With A.J. Brown there, and that seemed to be a trade that Jalen Hurts really wanted. What should the expectations be for him entering year three? Because I, I think there's just kind of a vague sense among the fans, among the media, as to what the bar is in the organization's mind as to what you're looking for in Jalen Hurts. Yeah, we're just looking to win. You know, and I think that at the end of the day, that's something that always attracted us to Jalen as a player when we drafted him. Um, uh, obviously that's what he's done really his whole life as a football player. He's figured out ways to win games and put his team in a position to really in college to win championships. And, um, I think with Jalen, uh, the one overriding theme with him is he will do whatever it takes to be great. He will work as hard as he possibly can. He will connect with as many teammates as he possibly can. If you tell him this will make you better, he will go to the end of the earth to do that. Um, and he's a talented guy. And so, I think for all of us, we, we have to help. Well, whoever our quarterback is, you always want to feel that way. But I think when you have a young quarterback and he's still 23 years old, which you know sometimes I even forget about, um, but when you have a young quarterback like that, you have to put them in position to be successful. You can't ask them to do everything. So how do you do that? Obviously for us, it's going to start on both lines, right? Having a really strong O line, D line, um, and then going from there and making sure that he's got options in the passing game, he's got weapons around them, but we're also complimenting him with good players on both sides of the ball. You know, with all the talk about A.J. Brown, Jordan Davis has gotten short trip. That's the guy that you ended up taking in the teens. You move up to get him, cut the line in front of the Ravens. I'm sure they're thrilled about that. What drew you to Jordan Davis, and what do you expect from him? Well, Jordan Davis has got rare, rare, unique physical tools. See, there, there are not guys like Jordan Davis who come out in the draft every year. And I think when we look at, at the draft prospects and we think about guys who are unusual, who have unique skill sets, I mean, he's right there. And I, I think a lot of the questions about him is, you know, why didn't he play so much? Why isn't he playing on third down? And we spent a lot of time talking about it. Um, this is a unique athlete uh, with unique explosive power. Um, but when you really kind of boil it down to it, it, this guy was the Allen Trophy winner. He was top 10 in the Heisman voting. And Georgia was really beaten up on a lot of teams, you know, in, in their run to a national championship. And I think um, when you look at really when they were in closer games, he was playing more. And uh, I think we, we just, uh, for us, O-line, D-line is such a priority. And um, I, it just made a natural fit for our football team. Well, Howie, congratulations once again. 12 years as a GM. And let me know where you're going on vacation this year and from where so I can let T.O. know that he can get on the same flight and hopefully sit in front of you and recline the seat. Yeah, into well, over again. well, let me Back know. Let me know. I like how you have the, the kitchen utensils, but the, the book properly placed. Is there like a wine bottle back there, too, right there with the wine cooler right there? Like there's no chance that you designed that backdrop. Oh, none whatsoever. My wife is the one who says, this is where I think you should go. This is what I think you should do. I used to go down to my barn, but that took too much work. I've squatted in here. The, the book is there for the media appearances that I do. It's product placement, trying yeah, to get people to I buy playmakers it. anywhere you buy yeah. books. I hope you got your copy. I hope you read it on the flight with T.O. in front of you. I didn't. I'm going to ask Bob I'm Lang why we didn't get it, but um, thanks for having me, man. I always enjoy talking to you. Good talking to you, pal. We appreciate you. Take care. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Joining us now, Carolina Panthers general manager, Scott Fitter. Scott, welcome to the program. How are you, pal? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. I know it's still a busy time of year, even though the draft has come and gone. Give me an idea of what your normal day, not that anything's ever normal in the NFL, but what's your normal day like? in this period, post-draft, off-season workouts, working your way toward getting a little bit of a break before the season gets rolling. Yeah, obviously we're in phase two right now, but there's there's still a lot of roster management going on. We have our mini camp the second week after the draft. And so we're, we're also inviting a lot of players for tryouts. So uh, just a lot of organization bringing players in and uh, constantly evaluating our, our own team. How many players will you have at the rookie mini camp? We're going to have a little more than 30 players. Uh, we're going to leave most of our, you know, one-year bets uh, at home and just focus more on rookies this year and use it more as a, a look at what's out there and, and build our, our uh, roster for tryouts in the future. How many tryout players will be part of the, the rookie minicamp? Uh, we're going to have about 20 players that are tryout guys. And you know, we may lose one or two, uh, mostly 20, right, right around 20. When you're, I'm curious about this. I hadn't planned to ask you this, but since we're there, let's, let's run with it. You're watching the rookie minicamp practices. You're t- seeing the tryout guys. What, what, what is it you're looking for to maybe have that light flicker that, hey, this is a guy we need to add to our roster? Is it somebody that has to jump out from the rest? Is there something subtle you're looking for? And I know it's different by position, but give me an idea of what you're looking for when you're out there watching the tryout basis players at the rookie minicamp. Yeah, you know, we've seen these guys on tape. Our scouts have done a lot of work uh, with them. That's why we invite them. We do like them. But if they have a special trait that we can build on, if there's a, a good fit for our offense, if they come in, in here and learn and pick up the offense quickly, if this is a player that would be a great 90-man guy, preseason guy, if they can just add some value to our team in some way and they can beat out someone that's already on the roster, we'll do that. And uh, we're very open-minded about the process. Colts GM Chris Ballard recently said every team has holes this time of year. What holes are you trying to fill? Well, I, I like what we did in pre-agency as far as filling the immediate needs. I do think we need to add possibly a defensive tackle, maybe another pass rusher. Uh, we'll add some competition, possibly a quarterback. We'll see how that goes. But for the most part, I feel like we addressed a lot of our immediate needs. We feel good about where we're at, but our roster is never set. We're always looking to get better. And uh, we'll, keep a, we'll keep an eye on the landscape, and guys will get cut. Uh, we'll bring them in for a look and uh, see how it goes. You mentioned quarterback, and obviously that's a hot topic, and it's been one for the Carolina Panthers. What would the message be right now to Sam Darnold as to where he stands on the depth chart, level of competition, how set in stone or sand is his number one spot at the top of your roster? Well, Sam is the number one guy right now, and – he has every opportunity to take it and run with it. We hope he does well. Uh, we've seen improvement already uh, under Ben McAdoo. He's working hard. He's throwing the ball well. Uh, he's just got to take it and run with it. He's got to own the position. And the one thing we're looking to do is stabilize the position. That, and it's been up and down, up and down. And uh, we, we're bringing in Matt Corral. P.J. Walker's already here. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But he's, he's in the lead right now. But until someone really owns that position, gives us an opportunity to win, It'll always be up for grabs. 
The team's owner, David Tepper, met with the media before the draft, and he rattled off some of the factors that contributed to the regression of the offense last year, including the absence of Christian McCaffrey, who had an injury. When you look back at last season and break down the performance of Sam Darnold, what do you see about how things, which started really well, but then fell apart a little bit? What, what factors did you observe that, that number one, led you to believe this is what happened. And number two, make you confident that this year he can maybe avoid those things. Well, I thought he did play well the first three games. I thought he played really well. Even into uh, the Dallas game, he played well in the first half. I think injuries, losing McCaffrey did play a factor in it, but really it was the inconsistency up the offensive line. There's too much leakage up there. Um, that was one priority going into the soft season. It is improving the offensive line. And we brought in three new bodies that we think come in and help us start. Uh, you know, draft the left tackle here in the first round. I think that can only help the quarterback. You know, with Sam, when he has time, he delivered the ball, was looked good. But when he didn't have time, even when Cam Newton was here and he didn't have time, it's hard to play that position. And it's not solely on the quarterback. It's on us. It's on the whole offense. Um, but one of the big steps we did take was fixing that offensive line. And you mentioned taking the left tackle, Iki Aquanu, sixth overall. And a great story. Charlotte kid plays at NC State. Not, not that you're looking to add local talent, but that's got to be a nice plus when the guy that you look at as a player and say, we want him, we need him. Oh, and he's not moving across the country. He's comfortable here. He knows the community. That's got to make it easier and better and, and make you more confident that it's going to work. It's great because he's going to have all the support he needs right here. You know, he comes from a great family. Went to school literally 20 minutes here from the stadium. Grew up a Panther fan. That's really all a plus. I mean, we drafted him because of the player he is, because of the intangibles he has, what he can do for our team. You know, last year we drafted J.C. Horn, who's from South Carolina. You know, so we had the North Carolina, South Carolina connection, both with the first round. Just happened to work out that way, both really good players. But it, it is, it, it's a nice bonus to have when you add local guys. Different GMs will say different things about where a first-round pick fits walking through the door. Does Iki Aquano walk through the door as your starter at left tackle without question? Well, I thought uh, Brady Christensen helped the work out there as well at left tackle. Brady's uh, – one of his biggest strengths is his versatility. He can play guard. He can play center. He can play on the right side. And he's done all that. He did it as a rookie. Uh, but we're working both at left tackle – um, and Vicky takes that spot and runs with it, which is why we took him in the first round. That's great. Uh, you know, we have uh, one of our five best linemen is, uh, you know, is a, is, uh, the tackle. So we'll be fine when it comes to that. Uh, but yes, Vicky will definitely compete at left tackle for us. You mentioned Cam Newton. There's been some talk in the offseason, maybe the door's open on him possibly coming back. Where does that currently stand with Cam Newton? Is the door open on him potentially returning to the team? I think we're still having talks. We have to see how this uh, works out here uh, throughout the spring. Um, you know, I just happened to be up at the Derby last weekend and, and Cam was up there. We we're texting uh, a little bit. So the, the lines of communication are open. Uh, I know Coach Rule has spoken with him. Um, we are going to have a, a discussion at some point, but we're just not quite there yet. Uh, but we'll see how it goes, uh, you know. The more competition we have at that position, the better. There are people around the league who think because of Cam's personality, the leadership, the magnetism he has, the fact that so many of the guys in the locker room now will say, hey, I grew up idolizing Cam Newton. I want to play with Cam Newton. 
is it harder for him to be anything other than the starter because of that personality and everything he brings to the table? Is it hard to have him as a backup? You know, I, I think that mindset is he's always going to compete to start. I mean, that's just the contender that he is. But the one thing I learned about him is how unselfish he is and what a team guy he is. I had this perception from the outside coming in here who I thought he was. And he was the hard, one of the hardest workers on our team. He's a leader. He took the young guys under his wing. Uh, they do look up to him naturally. He does have that presence. Uh, but he's a team first guy. He's a competitor, but he's a team first guy. So I, we have no problem bringing him in. Going into the draft, nobody knew what was going to happen with the quarterbacks. And it was a surprise that no one went until number 20. Can he pick it to the Steelers? And then no one goes in round two. From your perspective, how surprising was it that you had an opportunity to spring back into round three and grab one of the guys that we thought would be gone by the time we got toward the bottom of the third round? Yeah, it's definitely a unique year. You know, usually three quarterbacks go in the first, you know, 20 or so. And so when Kenny Pickett went uh, to Pittsburgh, there was that lull. And we did plan on going back up at some point and taking the quarterback. We, had, we liked a couple of those guys. And uh, the more they fell, the price just became more, better for us and more affordable for us to move up, you know, from our fourth round spot up to get one of the guys that we really liked. We knew going into the weekend, we wanted to add a quarterback, you know, whether it's a veteran free agent or, uh, you know, through the draft, ideally through the draft. And so to have that ability when they slid as much as they did really helped. And we were surprised how far they actually slid. What was it about Matt Corral that, that made you motivated to swing back into round three and, and grab him? Yeah, we love the quick release. We love the athlete on the field. We love the competitive makeup of him. Uh, we went to the pro day. You know, he was, he was unrattled there, like did a really nice job. And we brought him in for a visit. And once we brought him in for the visit, he went around each group, you know, each uh, position coach, head coach. He sat down with uh, Dave Pepper and myself and we interviewed him. And he really opened up to us and really kind of, you could feel, you know, who he is, the competitor that he is, the change that he's made in his life. And I think at that point, if you look at the skill set, you look at the person, and this is the type of guy that we wanted. And, uh, we were sold on him. Like, we do think he's very talented. Get someone of his talent level in the third round was great. Is the door open for him? And you mentioned competition, and Sam Darnold's currently number one, but depending upon how he performs, how Sam performs, could Matt Corral be your starter at some point this season? You know, it's hard to say right now. It's just how quickly he grasps the playbook, how quickly he's ready to play. But the best guy's going to play. It doesn't matter rookie, second year, third year, fourth year one that gives us the best opportunity to win will be out there on the field. You mentioned David Tepper and I brought his name up earlier. You come from Seattle where ownership involvement was as low as it could be. David Tepper seems to be very involved with the team. And look, it's the prerogative of the owner. How involved is he in day-to-day, big picture, small picture? Just give us an idea of, of how present and involved he is in the management of the team. You know, we talk, we'll talk a couple times a day. You know, some days we'll just text. Uh, he just wants to know what's going on. You know, the big transactions, you know, if we're spending money, he wants to be ahead of that and know what, what is happening. But for the most part, he's there as a sounding board for us. You know, he'll help us guide the process. He'll ask us the tough questions, ask us if we, if we looked at it from this uh, standpoint. And he never really comes in and says, hey, we're doing this. He's never done that since I've been here. But he does help guide tough conversations. And he said, he's really good at that. And when it came down to quarterbacks this year, or tackles, 
you know, we were working through which one are we going to take? You know, obviously quarterbacks a need, tackles a need. And as we worked through the process, he just kept asking, what's the best decision for the football team? You know, how do we get better quicker? Are we forcing this if we go with quarterback? And so it was a really good process. And it was there were tough conversations, but on the you know, when they finished, you feel like you're making the right decision and you work through it and you know you kind of left no stone on turn. So he's been great uh, that way. The drafting of Matt Corral came after it was well reported and documented. There were trade discussions involving the Panthers and another team regarding a player who is under contract with that other team. And I'm not trying to lead you into a tampering trap. So I'll just ask you a very, very simple question. Is there any possibility that you will trade for a veteran quarterback? No names. Is there any possibility you'll trade at this point moving forward for a veteran quarterback on another team? I would say quarterback or any other position. If there's someone out there that we think can help us, we'll, we'll keep our, uh, our, our minds open. We have the money set aside for uh, to make several different moves, and that was important for us to do. We want that flexibility. But if someone can help us, regardless of position, uh, we'll make a move at some point. Christian McCaffrey was spectacular the first three years of his season. He got the contract he deserved. Injuries have been an issue since then, and it's not a slight on him. The position is fraught with the potential for physical injury and and just problems it's car crashes on a repeated basis is there a plan to try to get to a different outcome this year and get more out of christian mccaffrey whether it's practice workload game workload is there going to be anything done differently to get a greater return on that investment from a player who who plays a position where guys just get hurt yeah well the thing about christian he's one of the best players in the nfl when he's on the field he's a difference maker for us I know he's examined a lot of different things, you know, the way he trains, the way he works. We've discussed it internally, practice habits, you know, do we cut reps, uh, how we play him. There'll be a lot of different factors. But the one thing that we know is when he has the ball in his hands, he's the best player on the field. And uh, we'd love to have him out there. But, yes, we've looked at every, you know, possibility to keep him healthy. And he has as well. Deontay Foreman, late last year after Derrick Henry got injured, he emerged as a great player in that Tennessee offense you guys snagged him in free agency I, I was surprised they let him get away what what drew you to the notion of adding Foreman uh, I assume as insurance in the case in case Christian gets injured again and just as that guy who can help maybe pick up some of the load well he did he, he finished really well last year um, he's a bigger back you know Christian's the explosive we have Chuba Hubbard here who's you know dynamic he's a he's a fast guy as well we needed a bigger guy. We needed that hammer. And he, he brings something to our offense when you're trying to finish a game, when it's a four-minute offense. Uh, Foreman's got the ability to do that. We've seen this already on the practice field. He's a pro out there. Uh, he runs everything, you know, all of his uh, runs. He finishes on those. He catches the ball well. He's picked up the offense quickly. So just to be, be able to add someone of his quality of a, of a runner is really what's really important to us this offseason. And I thought we got good value. Uh, for the, for the amount that we're paying him. So if he can come here and help us, that'd be great. Before I let you go, I've been trying to make sense of what's going on with the receiver position in the NFL. In some respects, it's mimicking the running back position where every year there are great receivers in the draft, but also there are great receivers that are in the league and some of them get paid by the teams they're with. You guys have done that with DJ Moore, for example. Other teams decide we're, we're just going to trade this guy. Let somebody else pay him and we'll backfill via the draft. 
I can't remember a time like this where there's been one position where there are so many great players every year, plus so many great players in the league, plus so many different attitudes toward how a team is going to staff that position, draft, pay the guy you have, trade for another veteran. I, I, I'm just amazed by this, and I feel like it's here to stay. I don't feel like it's temporary. Do you think it's something that's temporary, or this is just the new way receivers are going to be viewed in the NFL? Yeah, you know, the guys are so talented coming out now. They're so, you know, they're much further ahead than they were 10 years ago. But the impact, you know, the, the first, your first and second receiver have on a game, the ability to flip the field and take over a game, that, that's rare. And it's because of all these passing offenses. So I do think it's somewhat here to stay. It'll be interesting to see if the money stays as high as it's at right now when these receivers start getting $25 million. That's a lot of money for a receiver. However, if they can impact the game like they are, then they'll continue to demand that money. But it, it's, a, it's a lot of money for these guys right now. And having one of those great guys impacts an offense. I know there's a school of thought out there. Scott McLuhan, the former Washington and San Francisco GM, said, well, a guy only touches the ball six or seven times a game, so is it really worth it? Well, when the defense has to pay attention to everywhere this guy goes and assign extra resources to neutralize him, yeah, it makes a difference because the rest of your offense becomes a lot easier to run. That's, that's exactly right. You know, they'll start to roll coverages. You're going to run the ball and free up receivers on the backside. That's why it's important to have two or three receivers out there. Then the quick passing game, you know, to get the ball in the receiver's hands quick, their ability to run with the ball, run with power, it really does. And the ability to control the ball in the passing game has really changed um, the dynamics over the last few years. And so uh, it really just opens up the offense in general. And uh, they, they definitely impact the game. There's been so much talk about how the 49ers used Debo Samuel last year. And it just dawned on me, the NFL is a copycat league. People see something that works. I fully expect this year to see more teams using, especially bigger receivers, using them the way that the 49ers use Debo Samuel because it worked. So why not do the same thing? Put them in the backfield, give them the ball, let them be running backs and receivers too. Do you expect that to spread? I do. I do. I think we have one of those players in DJ Moore as well. You know, DJ is a, a big, thick, strong guy with the ball in his hands. He can run it. He can catch it. And we can also do things with McCaffrey in reverse with a, with a running back out of the receiver position. Anytime you can create a mismatch and get the ball in their hands to let them run in space, uh, they're dynamic. So I, I do expect a little bit more to see more of that throughout the league. You know, there's, there's uh, just a handful of teams in the NFC right now that people look at and expect big things from them. The Panthers are in the group of teams where people don't really know what to make of them. Do you kind of like that where there aren't a lot of expectations? There isn't a high bar. Maybe you can get an us against the world mentality going in the locker room and maybe surprise some people with what you do this year. You know what? Um, really, we don't pay much attention to that. Maybe we use it to motivate us. Our only goal is to win the NFC South, and that's our, that's our focus every year. And we want our players to believe that. I think we've put, uh, built our roster in a way where we're ready to compete. We just need to get more consistency out of a couple positions, and we'll be right there. Well, Scott, we'll let you get back to work on finding more help at those positions and others. We appreciate some of your time. Congratulations on your success. All the best this season. We hope to talk to you again soon. Appreciate you having me. Thank you.